G'day. Welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life and those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch. Today for our 100th, hang on, 100th? Like, seriously? Like this is our 100th? A century's worth? Okay. For our 100th episode, a guest worthy of such an occasion. Jessica Braithwaite grew up in Mount Gambia, the birthplace of Dave Graney and the home of the Blue Lake. Known as the weather presenter for Nine News Adelaide, Jessica is also a talented singer-songwriter who, after many years in bands, released in 2020 their solo debut single, Feel This Way. Produced by Juno Award-nominated Stuart Brawley, who's worked on recordings for Celine Dion, Michael Jackson, Lenka, Don Henley, Cher and many others. The music they made together also includes a member of One Direction on the drums. With her second child cradled in her arms, Jessica spoke to Radio Notes at the Whip Bake Bar Cafe in Semaphore by the Sea about the journey to releasing new music and how it feels. Welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a chat about you and music. And I guess what people may not know by the quality of the single Feel This Way is that you really started music at college. But what was it about being in college and playing the guitar? That's, it's really funny because, yeah, I didn't play guitar as a kid growing up or anything, but I'd always just loved music. And even what happened is my first boyfriend gave me a guitar for Christmas and it was one of those things that up until that point I'd always sort of said I'd love to play guitar in the same way that you might say oh you know I'd love to speak Italian or I'd love to learn how to cook French food or you know never really thinking that it would actually happen but then I had this guitar in my hands and I started to just start picking away at it and I never had lessons um, so it was funny me and my brother would just sort of sit there with this guitar and we would look at the picture of what a chord shape would be and we'd play the chord and we had this list of the chords and we would circle the ones that we liked the sounds of and it's so basic. But really, once you have two or three chords under your belt as a songwriter, you're off and away. You only need three chords to write a song. So it was just a really quick like, oh, I have this guitar. Okay, I can play some chords now. Oh my God, that means I can start writing songs. Back then, yeah. we're looking at someone who may have been going through some angsty times. Yeah. How much has that guitar, and do you still have it, Yeah, formed part of the therapy of you as an individual who looks inward a lot? Oh my God, it's so, this really, in, I've never been asked that before and it's a really great question. I still have the guitar. My brother unfortunately broke the neck of the guitar. Um, I think he dropped it and my mum was like, oh, can I throw this out now? And I'm like, you can never, ever, ever throw out, do not ever throw out this guitar. I don't care that the neck is broken. It's just so, I'm sentimental and it's so important to me and it's funny that you use the word therapy in terms of songwriting because that it is and I notice it even more so now because when I don't play for a while because I have two kids it's like a build-up of energy that a not good energy in me and then I pick up the guitar I did it yesterday I picked up the guitar for the first time in a while and it was it was like therapy and then sometimes I'll write a song and i and this is, you know, even when I was back in college, I don't really even necessarily know what the song is about. And that might sound really stupid, but the words just tumble out and you write them down. And it might not be until months later when I've been able to really have the perspective of knowing what I was going through at the time or just have a bit more 
hindsight and I'll be like, oh, that's what that song was about. I get it now. You know, it's just sometimes it's a stream of consciousness, but mm. it is. It's therapeutic and picking up the guitar is like seeing an old friend. I've heard that years later even, whilst on the surface that chorus is about the beach, yeah, we went to the beach, we had ice cream, but there's something (laughs) in the verse, maybe a line or something that really speaks to you, obviously. Absolutely. And, you know, it might not mean the same thing to someone who's listening to the song might think it's about something totally different, but inwardly you kind of know, oh, yeah, that line is really getting to the core of who I am or what I was going through debut single Feel This Way jump forward now yeah yeah uh, to talk about Feel This Way my understanding is that it was a couple of years before you decided to release it yeah so let's go back to the writing process of Feel This Way what was that catalyst this is a great example of a song that it not only takes on different meanings for different people but it has even had different meanings for me over the time but when I wrote that song um, I had just landed in LA I had been invited out there to record with this amazing producer that I still couldn't believe that it was actually happening. We need to stop there because I actually thought you may have already had it in your suitcase. No. All right, so let's go back and talk about this story. Let's know. We will get back to this very bookmark. Okay. So what's happened is Stuart Brawley. um, (laughs) Stuart Brawley, by the way, is the Juno Award-nominated producer Mm. based in L.A., He's worked alongside of Celine Dion, people like Michael Jackson he's had a twig at, Seal. He's worked with Darren Hayes. Stuart has contacted you. Well, so, yeah, kind of in... It's, it's a funny story. I contacted Stuart. Oh, right. And... Um, Why did you contact Stuart? Well, this is the thing. Juno Award nominated yeah, I know, Stuart. Go. I know. <laughs> had you had a few wines? Had you had a few wines, Jessica? At least two. Right. It's so funny how this... Okay, and there's someone I can blame for this. His name is Tony Robbins. Have you heard of Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker? So that was the motivational book you were reading at the time. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. Two things coincided. Number one, I read some advice that was if you want to record some music, have a listen around to some artists whose music you like and look to see who produced it. And so I was listening to some songs that I like and I really like Lenka this song that she has called The Show which I really like and I had assumed that she being an Australian artist and kind of a bit of an indie kind of a chick that that song would have been produced by an Australian producer who might at a long shot want to work with me and so I googled it okay it's produced by a bloke called Stuart Brawley okay who's Stuart Brawley oh crap Stuart Brawley is like this mega star music producer he's based in Hollywood and so I'm looking at that and I'm going oh my god this of course this bloke's never going to want to work with me and now this is where Tony Robbins comes into it. <laughs> because at the same time, I was reading this book by Tony Robbins. And he has this sort of like a mantra, I guess, or a piece of advice where he recommends easier sometimes to achieve the impossible than it is to achieve the mediocre. Because most people look at the impossible and go, well, obviously I'll never be able to do that. So I'll aim for the next bracket below. I'll just aim for this middle ground. Yeah. And as a result, Sometimes it's easier to just try and do something impossible. You had a few wines and you thought... I thought, effort. I'll just email him because, I mean, what will obviously happen, the email won't go to him, it'll go to a secretary. I had my demos. He'll never hear them. He'll never yeah. listen to them. But I'll know that I've tried. And I, whatever, I'll email him. And I emailed him and, no, and nothing happened. And I didn't hear back. Until about three or four months later, and I'm sitting at work and this email just drops into my inbox and it's like one sentence 
and it's just like, hey, Jessica, I listened to your demos, loving what you're up to. Do you want to come out and record? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this has got to be a scam or a, this, some mistake has happened here. There's, and you were pregnant at this point, weren't you? I was pregnant at this point, but no one knew. It was really weird because I was thinking this is something, this is obviously it's a mistake because why would this ma- amazing producer want to work with me? And B, I'm pregnant and I feel like I'm going to vomit in the bin at any minute right now. So the last thing I feel like doing is getting on a plane and going to LA. I don't even know if I'm capable of getting on a plane at the moment. But I don't know, when you get an email from a megastar Hollywood music producer asking you to go on record with them, it's not the kind of thing that you say, oh, I'm going to say no this time because opportunities like that don't really come around twice. I don't Mm. think so. I'm going to speed it up a little for you. So you're now in LA, you're in the kitchen... (laughs) <laughs> now, the Grammy Awards were just in the last few days here in, in the yeah, world yeah, at the yeah. time of record, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Post Malone had a song called Circles, which was up for record of the year. Uh-huh. You had a cup of tea with the producer of Post Malone's <laughs> Circles. Isn't that just the weirdest thing in the world? This guy, Mary Manaquin, I mean, he has produced, like... I think I read a stat. I don't know. You, maybe you can fact check it. Something along the lines of this guy, this studio, Mary Manikin, yeah. about 30% of the music that you hear on the radio comes out of that studio. Eight to nine Grammy Awards. To- like, he's just the king. And then this guy that sits in the studio next door does about the other 30%. He does all the hip-hop stuff. And so it's like you, you're sitting in this, this, this recording studio and you're like, how did I even get here? And then Mary, and then he walks in and, and, oh, my God, he's an actual normal person that you just chat to about the weather or whatever. Like, yeah, you, know, you think these well, people... What kind of tea does he drink? <laughs> I should have taken note. Should have. Yeah. But one thing we took note of is, what well, I took note of, is that at the last minute, the live drummer yeah. for One Direction. Yeah. They ended up on this very recording. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't doesn't this story just keep getting like more crazy? <laughs> it's so weird, honestly. It just feels like even you telling me to that to me now, it still sounds unreal. His name's Josh Devine. He's got, you know, millions of followers on Instagram and he walks into the room and wasn't afraid to tell everyone about your new song as well. He was great. He's he was really nice and that was one of the things that surprised me about working with all these people because I think you assume that, you know, these people are like the biggest some of the biggest names in the world in their industry and I, I don't know maybe you think they might be a bit stuck up or a bit on a different level that you wouldn't be able to have anything to talk with them about you've done entertainment reporting you've been in and around in a way these kind of people you've asked questions yeah. of them you have an idea of what they're really like you would have thought but yeah. then to actually be somewhat of a peer yeah yeah that's true and also there were no cameras you know like when you're interviewing people there's a camera and they can kind of perform for that interview yeah. but this is more like of a behind the scenes thing but it was funny because we worked out that Josh Devine the One Direction drummer our paths had crossed once before because he actually toured with One Direction when they came to Australia and at the time I was the entertainment reporter for Channel 10 and we worked out that at the time that he was you know they were in these vans with like tinted windows and ducking and weaving and they were out of the Barossa and there were these reporters who were trying to get photos of them and I was one of those reporters <laughs> so it was funny that our paths had once kind of crossed in a different way I mean we never I never spoke to him we never no one really got close enough to actually interview them at the time so it was funny to be sitting in the room with him are there other songs to come from those sessions or in and around from those sessions yeah we actually recorded six five songs at the time 
Three of them I had already written before I left and two of them we wrote when I was there. So this one, Feel This Way, was mm. written while you were there. Yeah, yeah. So there's a few others coming yeah. that were before. Yeah. Talk to us about that transformation process from in the suitcase, so to speak, uh-huh. to actually being in the LA studio as the song and you working together. It's weird to hear the songs come to life in that way and it's also really amazing to hear what people like that can do with your songs. I was really open-minded about how the songs were going to sound. I didn't want to be restricted. And I think in Australia, there's a bit of a thing, particularly like, basically, everyone wants to be played on Triple J. People can kind of be influenced by that and feel that they need to write a certain type of music or even, you know, uh, it just music that will fit into a certain spot in the Australian market or whatever. But when you're in LA, like, they haven't even heard of Triple J. So there's no restrictions. I felt completely free. So when they were saying, you know, like I wrote, we did some really poppy stuff over there and I didn't feel embarrassed to attempt, you know, doing some poppy sounds. Whereas if I think if I was in Australia, I might have felt a bit like, oh, that's not my domain. But over there, I was like, God, let's just see what happens and really let it flow creatively. How honest did these songs become for you during that recording process from both how they were recorded to the content and the the lyrical emphasis of them? Well, they definitely became more honest because one of the things that I learned when I was there and I was working with the songwriters is they, something that I'll never forget, they're like, you don't really have, some of the lyrics that I used to write, they could be, they were a bit cryptic, like I might have known what they meant, but the listener might not have. And I learned over there the value of just actually saying exactly what you mean and saying it in the most simple way possible. And it makes sense because if you think about it, someone's listening to a song on the radio, they might be doing other things and and driving along or whatever. And if you can hit them with your message in the most clear way possible, Mm. it can be more impactful. So I learned to be more honest and more explicit and direct with what we're saying. You know, we don't have to feel this way. It's probably a good example of that. Like it's just a really simple sentence that hopefully just sort of and I think it did it has had an impact on people because people felt that message when they heard it as opposed to sort of you know writing something more cryptic what could have been challenging for you the song and getting the message out there from the video point of view was actually smashed by actually breaking down the barriers of what the reality of reality is (laughs) so talk to me about the joys of doing the video for feels this way (laughs) Uh, apart from obviously hanging out with your friends and and sharing the artistic aspect of it it was really cool because it was one of those things where i made the video because i wanted to express this what I was thinking and, and you know for people who, who haven't seen the video it's a bit of a piss take really on social media and the fact that a lot of what we see on social media is fake and, and the pretenses that people feel like they have to live up to everyone's pretending they live these perfect lives on social media and it was something that was bugging me I knew that personally it was bugging me but I didn't know if anyone else was going to relate to it or not or even get what I was trying to say with this clip and I didn't want it to be preachy so we decided to do it in a really funny way I think you can use comedy to make a point much more effectively than preaching to people but on the day that we put the video out I was like 10 people might watch this you know I I don't know and I don't know if anyone's going to get it and so when it came out I saw it as a little video um, mention on the sort of if you scrolled right down to the bottom of the Adelaide Now website bottom right hand corner or wherever they Mm. put fringy kinds of stories (laughs) and I thought that's great and then I checked back in like later in the day and it was like the main story on the website 
And I thought, and it wasn't even the entertainment; it was the it main was story. It was just the main story, and I thought, God, I think that means that lots of people must be clicking on it. Later in the day, I'm, oh my God, I'm getting messages. It was on the Herald Sun. It had hit Sydney. It hit Melbourne. It went Queensland. It went national. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, pardon the music pun, this is striking a chord. <laughs> and people are starting, and women are starting to send me photos of themselves in their pyjamas at home with their babies because this is, you know, if you watch the clip, this will make more sense. Yeah. But, you know, um, people were like, thank you for making this clip. Oh, my goodness, thank you. This is liberating. This is life-changing. I'm starting to get this feedback. And then I get a message from The Sun, like which is the biggest tabloid newspaper in the UK. And they're going, we've seen your clip, we've seen your article, we want to run it here. And I'm going, well, this is insane. And then, the, And then, of course, overnight... I woke up and yeah. I saw it. it was in the UK tabloids, it was in the US tabloids, mm. it was in the Scottish tabloids. And once something in Australia gets <laughs> big overseas, then we think about looking at it. I know, I know. It's like, is that like the Keith Urban thing? Like, got to be big overseas before we take it seriously. <laughs> so, obviously, speaking about that striking a chord, mm. particularly looking more within yourself, can you talk to us about that realisation for you? Because... Mm. Your day job is very much about presenting, mm. literally, your job is a TV presenter. Yeah. So how have you, Jessica, over the years, defined who you are while still being one of the <laughs> most glamorous people on TV? <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't know that I'm glamorous. I've never been a glamorous person. We have good makeup artists at Channel 9. I think it's really important. I think even more so now because, you know, I just I've got a daughter now and I don't want her to grow up thinking that, like we, we see this perfection on TV and on social media and it, everything feels a bit fake now. And so I've always been really conscious of just wanting to keep it real. And that can be everything from the way that I talk to my audience when I'm on TV. I try, you know, I don't use scripts. I try to talk just in the way that I might talk to you mm -hmm. about what's happening with the weather. But I'm also really careful in interviews, articles that I write on social media to just keep it real because there's this, it's, everything feels like it's getting a bit out of control you know, with people, all everything's curated. Like you look at a social media feed and we're seeing like everyone's highlight reels. And it's hard because we compare our own lives to that and we think we're f coming up short. And we're not. It's just that we're comparing our real lives to everyone else's best moments online. Mm. Edited, photoshopped sometimes. G'day, this is Hayley Mary. A big shout out to Radio Notes podcast. Happy 100th episode. Keep going, keep up the good work, and thank you for the support. Hayley Mary's The Drip 7-track out now includes the singles Would You Throw a Diamond and The Chain. We're joined by Jessica Braithwaite. Can we talk about Auntie Sally? Oh, my goodness, my Auntie Sally. This is your father's cousin, I think? Yeah, yeah. Can you talk to me about that point in your life? It very much is about feelings yeah. and that feeling of wanting more in your life and contributing more as well. Um, thank you so much for asking me about my Auntie Sally. No one's really ever asked about her before in an interview and I'm really happy to talk about her because she is incredible. Um, so she is a nun. She moved to South Africa in the 80s, I want to say, to teach. They started a school and they started teaching... Um, a primary school to teach the kids and not long after she was there the AIDS crisis really took hold particularly in that part of Africa and it's so 
it doesn't even sound real to talk about it sitting here at, at our cafe at Semble Four Road mm-hmm. in Adelaide, but women started coming to my Auntie Sally with their babies, with their children. The women had AIDS and the families had AIDS and they started they said to my Auntie Sally, Will you will you look after my children? Because I'm I'm going to die. And when I die, there's not going to be anyone here to look after my kids. So people started bringing her their children. And, um, yeah, she took took them in. And um, before she knew it, she had what I guess you, would, you could call an unofficial orphanage. But uh, it just it, it grew over time um, and other people joined in and helped. And now um, she never left. So she has what is now sort of more a more established facility there it's called the holy family care center and she looks after these kids and some of them when they get them you know they're they're close to death we had a little boy who arrived there who was just he actually should have been dead based on his blood count but we were able to get him the meds he needed and get him back to life and kids who have been abandoned and babies and i think maybe i am more emotional about it now because i am holding my own little baby in my arms as we do this interview but that's my auntie Sally and she's amazing. And so I went over to help out um, when I turned, just after I turned 30, I went over to teach music. Um, so I took my guitar. We didn't have many instruments, but we didn't need them, you know, like these kids, man, they can, like they don't have toys, but they just, I've never seen kids have that much fun with like an old tyre and a couple of plastic bags. Like it's they, the imagination. Oh, totally. You know, like they'll tie an pl- old plastic bag to a stick and they have a kite. Or they'll make skipping ropes from tying bits of rubbish together. And I've seen these kids have more fun with rubbish than what kids in Australia are having when they're looking at their iPads, that is for sure. But, yeah, you know, I went to teach music and then that's just, this is going to sound really corny, but it's true. But there's, you know, you can bring so much joy with music and their eyes, you know, they just, the way that their little hearts lit up when we we made music together was awesome. Also, even though they were orphans at that point as we're saying they were establishing their own family with those other orphans yeah and you know they never lost sight of trying to locate family members for these kids too like they would go to local villages and and i hate to say it but funerals were the biggest gatherings so anytime there was a funeral they would go to the travel to these local villages and say we have these children try to locate maybe there's an uncle or an auntie or someone who might be able to reconnect them back into the community but yeah you know it's it's a different world you bring that back to australia you then become an ambassador for save the children yeah once I got home, there was a real disconnect, like I was going to work every day. So I've come from from that environment yep. that I've just been talking about. And then I came back here um, to take up my job at Channel 9 as a weather presenter. So I'm sitting in a makeup studio every day getting my hair and makeup done and I'm getting clothes sent to me. And it was, it was you couldn't really pick two more different worlds. And then the top of that show, you're seeing all the destruction across the world and everything mm. else while you are getting that makeup mm. and stuff done, I would think. Yeah, that's it. And so you kind of think, well, gosh. You left to go over there to find more in life for yourself and you still needed to find a little bit more when you got back, even though you found a lot over there. Yeah, it was more of like, well, how can I continue to contribute even though I'm home now? The momentum, right. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, you know that the, the situation, just because I'm home, there's still heaps of people who need help and that's not just over in other countries, no. it's in our own country as well. And So Save the Children was a really good fit. I mean, they do work around the world. They do really great work around climate advocacy because obviously they they want to protect the future of children. What was it about uh, meteorology that took your interest? 
it was a combination of I was in a, working in a newsroom and the, the selfish side of things is that I didn't enjoy the type of reporting in terms of what we call hard news, which yep. is, you know, the, the murders or the drug busts or the bikey, the car crashes. Ah. It wasn't my thing. I took much more of an interest in, is that plane going to... It's more the birds. <laughs> I took more of an interest in, like, I've always been, ah, the birds, here I am saying, talking about nature. I've always been passionate about the environment and climate and our natural world and weather is such a big part of that. And so for me, I sort of was drawn more towards that side of things and decided to study meteorology. I find it fascinating. Like I'm the kind of person that can just sit there and look at the clouds. I love looking at the clouds or watching a storm come in and things like that. So I've always had an interest and this was just a perfect way to combine my television presenting and my passion. I'm not sure you can answer this, but where is the most spectacular sunset you've oh, ever seen? Think about this all the time. It's it's really the most one of the most vivid things I've ever seen. So I love Adelaide's beach sunsets, let that be on the record. But there was this time where I was on a boat, a fishing boat, on the Okavanga Delta, which is a river, it's like a wetlands river system in Botswana. The sunset it was like someone grabbed this big paintbrush and literally had painted the sky. Like the entire sky was the most vivid purple and orange and it would change and you'd look again and it would be a different colour. And I, I just, I don't know how it was even possible to be just, you know, when you see a photo and it's been, someone's bumped up the saturation yeah. and they've edited it. But this was like with my, just with my eyes. It was amazing. I'll never forget it. I think about that night often how much those aspects of life and the stars obviously the natural environment mm. how much does that influence you as a songwriter then it's i guess it influences me as a person it helps me to be present so like if i'm i might just like walk outside to take the clothes off the line at night or something like that and then i'll be like oh i'm just going to stop and look at the moon for a minute and it's like this whole thing of just recentering yourself and so it brings me back to Oh, this will sound really woo-woo, but it kind of brings me back to who I am. Like, even, yeah. I know we've been talking about the birds here, but when I wake up in the morning and I can hear birds singing, it's like it, it's like a trigger for me to be present, mm -hmm. anything from the natural world, and it's harder in the city to get those triggers. Which is another fun fact I want to share with people about you if they want to give an insight about Jessica Braithwaite behind these songs. <laughs> Maybe not so much now with the kids, and I understand that completely, but you used to be a huge cyclist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, I've no, my bike... I can imagine. It's in the shed, yeah. cobwebs on it. But take us back because <laughs> Adelaide cycle paths are some of the best. If, yeah, yeah. And uh, where we are now, if my bike was a little bit better, I know that would have been <laughs> what I would have done for today. To us about that particular aspect in terms of the natural environment and being on the bike. I know it's been a while. Yeah, oh my God, it's been a long time. I love it. I mean, I think if you're an environmentalist as well, then riding your bike is just a no-brainer. I used to ride my bike to work. And not only is it the best way to start the day because your blood's pumping, you're out, you're exercising, you're in nature, obviously not emitting all of that carbon as you drive to work every day. So it's like the perfect form of exercise. And now I feel like a hypocrite because now I'm like, you know, I drive around with like one of those cars with a big boot so it can fit the pram and two car seats. So I'm a bit, you know, I should get back on the bike. Talk to us about your dad, seagulls, and being 12 years oh. of age. <laughs> That's so cool. I love this. Um, 
My dad never finished high school, so like his nickname is Dizzy, I think, because one of the teachers when he was in school called him a dizzy individual and it just stuck, paints you a bit of a picture of the type of bloke my dad is. He's not, you know, exactly conventional and um, he went on to be a very successful businessman and I think not having finished high school does not say anything about your intelligence, I think. But we were sitting at the beach one day. Um, it's amazing what you can teach someone with a few seagulls and a bag of chips. Um, we, were, we were throwing chips to the seagulls. You know, you throw chips and they all scurry and flurry, you know. And one of the seagulls just sort of walked right up to us and came really close and Dad handed him, you know, the chip. And my dad goes, see, that, that's what life is about, Jessica. You've got to be the brave seagull. All of the other seagulls are over there fighting over the scraps and this seagull was brave enough to walk up to us and take the chip. With this whole music thing, it, it's kind of the same thing, you know. Everyone else is scrapping and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to email the, the Hollywood music producer. The old hometown. What experiences feed into your music from the Blue Lake? It will always be home. And it's funny because sometimes I say, I might say to my husband, oh, I really want to go home. And he'll be like, what do you mean? We are home. And I'm like, no, 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 I want to go home. I think anyone who's from a small town might relate to this. You know, you can move away, but it will always be home. No matter where I go, no matter where I'm living, it's always home. I think it's because it speaks to who I am. You know, I think when you grow up in a small town, you get that real sense of community. And there's also a no frills, no BS attitude, I think, a lot of the time in small towns. Jessica, um, just having a look over the... We're talking about your debut single as a solo artist. This is the debut edition of something called Speckled Dog. It's a magazine produced here in South Australia. You're the cover girl. Yeah. Or lady, woman, My first person. Cover. <laughs> you say here, uh, it's a quote from you, and it's talking about finding a way to fit all the pieces of the puzzle mm. together. Now, obviously, that could speak just as a musician, but in life as general. Mm. You've kind of given away a little bit of that guard by not focusing so much on the perfection. Mm. But what is that key for you, keeping all those... Oh, my God. It's so hard. To be honest, I feel like I'm failing. There's so many pieces of the puzzle of life that you try to... But but I guess what I try to do is to prioritise things that people might think are useless. You know, I guess our society has a big emphasis on work and always feeling like we need to be tick the boxes, be productive, um, be... Uh, what is it? So you're not a listicle kind of person. No, I am. Oh. I'm, I'm really bad at it. And this is why I say I'm, I'm, I struggle with this. But what I try to do is to prioritise useless things. Things that people would consider useless, like play. Picking up the guitar and writing a song. Well, I'm, that I have a blank look because both of those I don't find useless. I think... I find those very useful in terms of creativity. And creativity yeah. is important for identity. I agree. I agree with that 100%. I just think as a society, we tend to place more of an emphasis on things that make money. And so you might sort of be like, well, why are you... Me going and picking up my guitar and just strumming away for half an hour isn't necessarily going to make money or be advance me in my career, but mm. I try to prioritise it anyway over you know like there might be I don't know it's hard because there's so many competing factors there's dishes in the sink and there's bedtime stories that need to be read and then there's work and then there's music and then you know there's health and fitness and there's all these competing things and normally the creative side of things is going to fall to the bottom of the list because you can get away without doing it does that make sense it's your own world Jessica what's number one on that priority oh I mean well now it's my kids mm-hmm. Now it's my kids. But music was pretty high up before the kids, wasn't it? 
Yeah, but music in not in a sense of a career like releasing music but more just in a music is something that helps me to feel alive kind of a sense like a creative you know if mm. you, i think it's hard sometimes it, it falls to the bottom of the list because you know there's all these other competing things um so i think that's what i was trying to express before like i try to try to prioritize those kinds of things but it's hard this is very much a protest song you've said mm. about those aspects of demands, I guess, on people's lives, Pressure. priorities. I feel like we're, like, everywhere you look, there's, like, stuff is, sometimes it feels like the world is designed to make us feel like shit about ourselves. Like, if you're reading a magazine, it's like, you know, the models are all photoshopped, or if you're driving to work and there's billboards telling you things that you need to buy to in order to have a happy life, or you're watching the TV and there's ads coming on, so you need to buy this in order to, to be happy. There's this ideal, this perfect ideal, whether you're scrolling Instagram or whatever it is, of how what your life is meant to look like, and none of our lives actually look like that, but the world makes us feel like they should, and so we think there's a gap between where we are and what our life is meant to be like, and we live in that constant state of trying to fill the gap. Over the years, you've released a number of protest songs from Marriage Equality right through to That's this right, this latest yeah. one as well. Yeah. Part of all those feelings that we've been talking about over the last little while, how much do you see the need for a protest or, more importantly, shining a light on social issues within your music? It's hard because you don't want to be preachy. When I write songs that uh, end up being protest songs, it's because it's about something that I'm battling with internally or that I feel so deeply about myself. And marriage equality affected our family really deeply. Yep. You know, my brother, I have three brothers. Two were married and the third couldn't get married because right. marriage equality wasn't legal, because he's gay and marriage equality wasn't legal and it felt so... And he was in love. He was in love. He was ready. <laughs> he was ready to go. And it just was like, hang on a minute. So you're telling me that one of my brother's love is not the same as my other two brothers? You know, don't tell me that because that's, that's just crap. And so that song came out of that personal experience as opposed to, I guess it's a little bit different than if you were to look at an issue from the outside and say, I'm going to write a song about this or that. It's more right. like your own experience with that issue maybe yeah. and shining a light on it through that came from, It came from a response of how society was saying you must do. Yeah. Like this song that's is. So and that's so true. So I didn't think of that. It's like, don't tell me how to, don't tell me what love is. Don't tell me how I have to feel about myself. Jessica, what's the trajectory of your music now? Got some, some songs that we recorded in LA that I'm still going to be releasing. Like literally just sitting on my computer ready to go. <laughs> and I've got a bunch of songs that I've written um, since then that I want to record. I think in terms of my overall career, I, I'd like to think of myself as a bit of a hybrid, a bit of a slashy to always be sort of involved with TV presenting and incorporating the music into that. Even, you know, other things like writing and I'd love to write a book one day, you know, like I don't really sort of want to feel like I'm, I will end up just in one category, like more of a, a combination of all of those things. South Australia gives you that chance to be a slashy a little bit more, doesn't it? Particularly with the level of experience that you have working with Sky News, Channel 10, yeah. um, across the board, of course, all the experience overseas as well. I think that now I would say that it's true. I wasn't, I was nervous about it because when I was known more so just as a weather presenter, I was really nervous about releasing this song, Feel This Way, because I thought people are going to think, hang on a minute, isn't that the weather presenter? Oh my God, the weather presenter thinks she can sing. You know what I mean? Like, oh gosh, I wasn't sure whether people would be willing, whether the audience would be willing to accept me as 
two things as a TV presenter and a singer. But having done that now, and even though I was really scared about doing it, I did it. I would say that that is true because I think people were really receptive and they really got on board with it. So, yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I need to ask you also about the people you've worked on with this music. Well, we mentioned Stuart Broly, obviously. Mm. Um, are there other people that you would like to mention that are, have been part of this journey of these singles? Yeah, there's another awesome songwriter that I worked with. Her name's Bridget Beninati. And this will sound like I'm being a, like a loser name-droppy person, but to give you some perspective on who she is, she's written songs like number one hit songs for Kelly Clarkson and Delta Goodrum and people like that. And that was really interesting because I'm more of a like an indie kind of a sit on the floor with my guitar kind of a songwriter mm-hmm. and she writes these big pop ballads. And so one of the songs that I haven't released yet that I'm looking to release soon is one of those. And that was a really cool experience to learn about the art of pop songwriting. It's totally different. And, you know, that's surreal because you're sitting in a room with these people that, that have written these. And I'm like, how did I even get into the room with, with these people? And I just was like a sponge. I wanted to soak everything up. Um, so she was really cool. She's probably the other main person, um, you know, that I was really excited to be able to work with. Jessica Braithwaite, thanks very much for your time. <laughs> Thank you so much. Jessica Braithwaite, debut single, Feel This Way. Find them online at jessicabraithwaite.com. Deep thanks to our special guest, Jessica Braithwaite, who, frankly, over a decade ago, had a lyric in a song that saved my life. I can't say it any other way. It was mid-October. I had just been kicked to the curb in a relationship, and whilst I was checking the book, the Facebook, saw said, then recently, ex-partner with someone else by their side on the feed. It's not the best feeling in the world. But Jessica had a song for it and it made it all okay. That's the power of music and that's the kind of great work that she's doing through her music. So thanks again to Jessica Braithwaite. Next episode, we head to New York to speak with Andrew Shapiro. He's played his piano in a McDonald's and not any McDonald's the one near the World Trade Center. That's next time. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. <laughs>